Amen. I love to tell the story, and I love to tell the story with you. I love to sing the story with you. I love this rain. I love being here with you. Thank you, church, for being here this morning. I, I don't think there's anybody watching online, but if you are, thank you for uh, watching online. I'm pretty sure our internet connection isn't working. We almost didn't even have power in here, so I'm thankful for the power. I love having lights to be able to see, and I, I know you didn't want to pull out the songbooks in the dark, and so we, I'm glad we had slides for that. So uh, I think everything is working except maybe our, our live stream, but thank you for being here this morning. I do love you so very much. I'm so thankful to be on this journey with you. We've been talking about this month throughout this series, this journey of following Jesus and the, the change that it brings about in our life and how hard change can be. Change is hard, isn't it? It's hard to kind of get used to a new way of doing things, a new way of thinking, a new way of seeing, a new way of, of operating our lives. I was thinking about how hard even something like a, a move can be. When my family and I first moved here, uh, we had just moved into our new house. It was probably the first week we lived there. I think it was the first week. I I hope this story took place in the first week. But anyway, I, I drove home from work. I, I parked beside the house. I got out of the car, walked through the, the lawn, and I was actually standing in the front yard, and I, I caught a glimpse of someone standing across the street staring at me, and I looked up, and it was Malachi, and he was much younger at the time. And I was frustrated because he was on the other side of the street, and I said, what are you doing? He said, what do you mean? What are you doing? I said, you're not supposed to cross the street. He said, I didn't cross the street. I said, don't tell me that. You're there. I'm here. The, the house is here. You're there. The street is in between us. You crossed the street. He said, Dad, that's not our house. <laughs> and he was right. It wasn't, it wasn't our house. Change can be hard, can't it? Change, change can, be, can be hard. We can go back to the, the previous slide. But, but change, change can be difficult for ourselves, and, and that's primarily what we've been talking about in this series is how to be open-minded to change, how to be willing to change, the, the difficulty and the challenge that comes both in receiving new truth and in adapting our lives to that new truth. But, but there's another aspect that, that we have to talk about before we wrap up this series, and that's the change that we want to see in other people. Because if we're honest, it's, it's not just ourselves that need to change. We, we also see people that we love, don't we? Maybe people in our family, maybe especially people in our family. Maybe our kids, maybe our parents, maybe our spouse, maybe, maybe our, our cousins or nieces or nephews or grandkids. And we, we look at the way they're living their life and we think, oh, that hurts so much. And I wish that I could help them get off that path and get onto a better path. Maybe it's people that we work with. Maybe it's coworkers. Maybe it's neighbors. Maybe it's classmates. Maybe it's just neighbors that we, we love and we care about and we see the way that they're living their life and we see the, the lies that they believe and the, the ideas that they've accepted as true and we, we want to help be a part of the change in their life. And maybe we just look at our community in general and we say there are things that we, we believe that Jesus can make better and we want to see people experience that change. But here's the question that I want us to wrestle with this morning is do you need to change the way you're trying to bring about change? 
Because it's, it's not just the change we want to bring about, it's also the way we're trying to bring about that change, isn't it? How are you trying to bring about that change? And is the way you're trying to bring about that change the best way, the right way, the, the way Jesus would have you to bring about that change? Or do you actually need to change the way you're trying to bring about change. And in order for us to sort of examine that question in our own lives, I want us to think about Paul in the city of Corinth. Now, Corinth was, a, was an interesting city in the ancient world. It was one of the largest cities at the time, hundreds of thousands of people. I think maybe the next slide is sort of an illustration of what part of Corinth would have looked like. It was a diverse city, diverse in language, diverse in culture, diverse in ethnicity, diverse in socioeconomics, some very wealthy people, some very poor people, free people, and enslaved people. But it was also a very immoral city, even by, even by the Greco-Roman standards. In fact, the phrase, living like a Corinthian, meant living an immoral life. So even, even in the Greco-Roman world, they would look at life in Corinth and they would say, wow, don't live like a Corinthian because living like a Corinthian meant that you lived without virtue, lived an immoral life. And Paul traveled there to teach the gospel. And when he got there, he met a couple, Priscilla and Aquila. And Priscilla and Aquila had a lot in common with Paul. They were from Rome, but they were, they were Jewish, ethnically Jewish. They were also followers of Jesus. They were Christians, disciples, and they, they had the same career. They were tent makers. And so Paul lived and stayed with Priscilla and Aquila, and they, they built tents together, made tents together, and they taught the gospel. So if you have your Bible, Acts chapter 18 and verse 8 is where we pick up Paul's work in Corinth. It says, He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, as he did when he went to every new city, and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with us. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And we see this, we've been talking about Paul's missionary journeys, and we see the same sort of pattern in almost every community in which Paul preaches that he gets to the city and he goes first to the Jewish people. He explains why he does this in the book of Romans, to the Jews first, and then also to the Greeks. And so it's necessary, it's necessary for Paul to go first to the Jewish community because it's their story. It's their, it's their heritage. It's their inheritance. It's their Messiah. And to go to them first. And then upon their rejection, Paul shakes off the dust, off, off his feet or off his garment, in this case, as a prophetic sign that now this message is going also to the Gentiles. And then, so for us, for most of us, that's good news for us, isn't it? Be because of the rejection of the Jewish community, not all the Jewish people, Paul himself was Jewish, but because the Jewish people in a certain community rejected it, then everybody gets the opportunity to hear and to respond to the truth. And so the message goes to the Gentiles. Verse 7, And Paul left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many, many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. 
So Luke mentions a couple of people specifically by name. One sounds like a Roman landowner who's also obviously a worshiper of God, lives next door to the synagogue. And then the other is the synagogue ruler who now becomes a follower of Jesus. So, so Paul says, I'm not, I'm not meeting with the synagogue anymore. My message is not exclusively for the Jewish people. Now I'm going to start telling everybody about Jesus. And so already you see the diversity in the Corinthian church. You have a Roman, you have a Jewish person. And then it says, many, many of the Corinthians believed and were baptized. Many of the Corinthians believed and were baptized. What was that like? That's what I want us to think about a little bit this morning. What was Paul's ministry to the people in this city? What was that ministry like? Here's some of the ways that Paul describes who these Corinthian people were before they came to Jesus. And so this is Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Later on, he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 2, he says this, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. So there was a handful of Jewish people in this church family, but most of them, most of them prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, most of them were pagans, which means that they worshipped the the Greek and Roman gods. They worshipped idols. And Paul says, this is, the, this is the life that you had before. Imagine, again, imagine what a huge change that is for a person to, to figure out these, these gods that I was worshiping before are no gods at all. This was wrong, and I was, I was devoting to find the one true and living God and then to become a follower of his Messiah, his Christ, his anointed King Jesus. We're talking about a huge lifestyle change, aren't we? Having to rethink almost everything you thought before. Having to reimagine the world. Having to reimagine what's, what's life all about. How should I live this life? And Paul got to, this is the beautiful thing, Paul got to witness the beginning of that transformation. It was quite a transformation process, wasn't it? And even when Paul wrote back to the Corinthians, he had to remind them, hey, hey, remember who you are, remember where you came from, remember how you're supposed to be living. It was still a process. It wasn't, it wasn't an immediate change. But Paul got to witness what God was doing in their lives how God was changing their lives, how Jesus was changing their lives, how the Holy Spirit was changing their lives. Here's another thing he said about them, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. So there there were probably a few educated and wealthy people, but most of these people were those that were sort of on the margins of society who weren't considered knowledgeable or educated or wealthy or powerful. And then Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9, saying this about who they were. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, that's somebody that uses abusive speech, nor swindlers, people that take advantage of and steal from others, 
will inherit the kingdom of God. And listen to this. He says, and such were some of you. This is who the Corinthian church was. These are the people that they were. These are the lifestyles that they were living. This, this was their life. Sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. He says, this is, this is who you were. Paul knows. He, he saw them in the midst of that. He, he loved them in the midst of that. He taught them in the midst of that. He was with them. He witnessed this. He was the one who taught many of them the gospel. He says, such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. Meaning, set apart for a special purpose. For God's holy purposes. You were justified. You were made right. You were set right in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So, again, again, I want us to, to see both sides of this. One is that this is, this is the life that they, they led. Paul knows because he was there and he taught them. And it's necessary that they go through a transformation, that they stop doing those things, that they don't live that way any longer, that there has to be this kind of change brought about in their life. And praise God, Paul was allowed to be part of bringing about that change in their life. Jesus allowed Paul the, the privilege, the blessing of being part of bringing about that change in their life. Look at back in Acts chapter 18, verse 9, as Luke continues to tell us the story of Corinth. It says, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Now, a couple of things here. One, I want to ask, like, why did Jesus have to tell Paul this? Don't be afraid. Keep speaking. No, no I'm going to make sure that no one attacks you to harm you. Well, probably for a couple of reasons. One is that there were people who wanted to harm him, right? And probably two, because Paul, I, I assume, was afraid. And he had moments where he was afraid. Should I keep... Should I keep saying this? Should I keep preaching this? Should I keep talking about this? And he, he's seeing lives transformed. He's seeing lives change. People are believing in Jesus, being baptized into Jesus, and they're giving up these lives that they were living. And they say, enough of that. I want to I follow the way of Jesus. But there were also people that were incredibly angry with him. If we would go on and continue reading in Acts chapter 18, the, the Jewish people from the synagogue take Paul to court and try to get the Roman authorities to punish Paul, but Jesus keeps his word, and, and all of their attacks come to nothing. It goes back to what we've been saying all year, right? That when you are aligned with the mission of Jesus, when we collectively as the church are aligned with the mission of Jesus, when we, when we are on mission as a people, we are unstoppable. 
The the message of Jesus is unstoppable. The mission of Jesus is unstoppable. There were many many places in Corinth that the message that Jesus was having Paul to preach, the message that Paul was preaching was not a popular message. Can, Can you imagine? Can you imagine in Corinth having to preach this message about the one true and living God? about the God who says that the sexually immoral and the idolaters and the adulterers and the men who practice homosexuality and the thieves and the greedy and the drunkards and the revilers and the swindlers have no place in the kingdom of God. Can you imagine preaching that in Corinth? Can you imagine preaching that Jesus is the only true way to the Father? The Jewish people didn't like that message. The people who worship the various idols in town didn't like that message. The people who were involved in these kinds of behaviors didn't like that message. This was not a, a popular message to preach, but there were people hearing it and responding to it, believing it, and having their lives transformed by Jesus. And Jesus tells Paul, keep going. Keep going. Don't be silent. Don't be afraid. Keep sharing the message of Jesus, and I will make sure that nothing harms you. Now, I want us to think about what is Paul's strategy? Like, how did he go about doing this? Because we, we want to do this, don't we? We want to be part of this. I do. Don't you? I want to be part of this. I want to be encouraged by Jesus. Keep, keep telling people about Jesus. Not just from the pulpit, but I want all of us to, to go and to share the message of Jesus with our, with our siblings and our children and our parents and our spouses and our neighbors and our co-workers and our classmates. But, but how? What was Paul's strategy of being part of the change that Jesus was bringing about in people's lives? Was it just to preach to people? kind of wag his finger at people, say, stop doing that, that's bad, don't do that anymore. Was that Paul's strategy? No, listen, here's how he describes his strategy, again, in the Corinthian letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 19, he says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself, I have made myself a what? A servant to all, that I might win more of them. In context, Paul is talking about his rights, I have the right to do this, and I have the right to do that. I'm free. I'm free. But something I've been thinking a lot about lately is that when we talk about freedom, we typically talk about freedom from, right? We talk about freedom from. Freedom from persecution. Freedom from the law. Freedom from this. Freedom from that. But Paul says, I'm I'm free from everyone. But the real question is, what is your freedom for? It's one thing for us to talk about what are we free from, but the real question is, what are you free for? What are you free for? What what are you using your freedom for? What is the purpose of your freedom? And Paul says, the purpose of my freedom, how I'm going to use my freedom is to make myself a servant to everyone so that I might win more of them, so that I might teach them about Jesus. I'm going to make myself their servant. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to consider them to be more significant than myself. 
That's what he says in Philippians 2. That's the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is to make yourself the servant of other people, to consider them not just to be your equal, but to be more significant than yourself. Paul says, I'm free, but here's what my freedom is for. Verse 20, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Paul recognized that when he's preaching and teaching Gentiles, people out there in in the community, people that, that have never heard of the law of Moses, how he operates with them, and how he serves them, and how he's sensitive to their culture and traditions is going to be different than how he operates with and serves those who are under the law, his Jewish brothers and sisters. And he's going to make accommodations depending on the people he's talking to. Why? Because he loves them, and he wants to serve them, and he wants to bless them. And he wants to see Jesus bring about this transformational change in their lives. He wants Jesus to turn their world upside down. And Paul knows that the only way he's going to be part of that, the only way that he's going to be part of Jesus turning this person's world upside down is for me to serve them in the unique way that I need to serve them. And the same is true for you, isn't it? and the people that you love, and the, and the people in whose lives you want to see change. This is the way we go about it. Verse 22, he says, To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. See, Paul's ultimate goal wasn't to change people. Even though that's what happened, right? People changed. People changed. Not everybody changed. There was no guarantee. Paul knew there's no guarantee. If I invest in this person, if I invest in this person who spends their day worshiping idols and involving themselves in wild parties and doing all of these things, if I serve them and I make myself their servant, at the end of the day, they may never believe in Jesus. They may never be baptized. They they may never experience the change that Jesus wants to bring to their life. They might reject Jesus turning their world upside down. They may not want that, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do it anyway because they will never experience that if someone doesn't serve them. They will never experience that if someone doesn't love them. They will never experience that if someone doesn't teach them so that I might win some of them. I'm going to make myself a servant of all of them so that this change might be brought about in their life. But again, change itself is not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is I want to share with them in its blessings. I want to share with them in its blessings. Not just I want them to have these blessings. Yes, that's great. But I want to share with them. I want want to experience with them salvation. I I want us to experience fellowship together. 
I want them to experience what I experience. I want them to have what I have. I want to share with them in all of these things. Is that how you think about your neighbors? Is that how you think about the people in our community and you think, I would really like to see some change come about here? Do you think, then this is my, this is my opportunity. I'm going to make myself their servant. And why, why do we do that? Why do we do that? I, I had a conversation just this week with the sister in Christ who has a friend, and friend is being really generous because this lady that she's friends with is just kind of an awful person. And she's just kind of an awful person. I'm just being honest. I mean, she's, she's mean. She's rude. She's selfish. And yet this, this Christian lady is, is friends with her. And she asks her all the time, why are you friends with me? No one else wants to be friends with me because she kind of knows how she treats people. Why are you friends with me? And this Christian lady is not just friendly with her. She loves her. She goes with her to different places around town, putting her own reputation at stake to hang out with this person that people around town know she's not very nice. She's a rude person. She treats us awful. And this Christian lady is hanging out with her, spending time with her. And she asks her, why? Why are you my friend? You know what the answer is? Because that's what Jesus did for us. That's why, that's why we love people. That's why we serve people. Because that's what Jesus did for us. He made himself our servant. While we were still sinners, he came not to be served by us, but to serve us. He made himself our us. We're here right now because Jesus humbled himself and became our servant. He loved us when we were unlovable. He loved us when we were mean. He loved us when we were immoral. He loved us when we were liars. He loved us when we were cheaters. He loved us and his love has changed us and it's still changing us. And so because that's what Jesus did for us, that's what we do for others. And we have to remember that we can't make people change. You can't make people change. But you can, as Paul said, you can make yourself their servant. You can't make people change, but you can make yourself their servant. Paul knew that, didn't he? He knew, I can't make people change. I can't make idolaters change. I can't make adulterers change. I can't make people who use such abusive speech that they have that kind of reputation around town. I can't make them change, but I can make myself their servant. And I can serve them the way Jesus served me. And for some, for some, it will bring about change so that we can share with them in the blessings of the gospel. Maybe there's some of us this morning, maybe we're not even trying to bring about change. Maybe we're just kind of wringing our hands and saying, yeah, it's awful, I can't believe that. And we're not even really trying to participate in bringing about change. But maybe the way we're trying to bring about change is that we're trying to force people to change. We're trying to make people change. 
And we need to remember how Jesus changed us and how Paul brought about change in Corinth. And remember that you can't make people change, but you can make yourself their servant. And maybe this morning we can serve you. Maybe we can pray for you. Maybe we can encourage you. Maybe there's something going on in your life. Maybe you're ready to be baptized into Jesus. The prayer room will be open after service. And the invitation is yours. As together we stand and sing this song.